Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything else, and He is supreme over all of creation. Everything was created through and for Christ, and He holds all of creation together. He is first in everything. Hopefully those words sounded a little familiar to you. They were actually what Pastor Don talked about last week, the end of chapter 1 in Colossians. And so I want to welcome you this morning as we continue our series in the book of Colossians. Um, This is week three. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege this weekend uh, to be with you, to have the chance just to talk and to share some things. Um, Today, we are going to be primarily in Colossians chapter 2, and so if you want to go ahead and start turning there, that would be great. Um, Before we dive in, though, um, I just think it's good for us to spend a few more moments in prayer, uh, specifically for some of the events in Texas this past week. So let's go ahead and bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I do thank you this morning that we can be together, that we have the ability to, uh, to come together to worship as a church family and to just be in your presence together. Lord, I want to lift up um, the community of Vivaldi, Texas. For us, many of us, uh, school just finished, and so summer is beginning, and we started with excitement. Um, but for folks from that community, it will be profoundly different this summer. Lord, I I pray this morning that your spirit, your presence is heavily on on that whole community. We pray that there are folks there who are listening to you and following you and are willing to step up and to be with folks that are hurting. Um, For your spirit to give them the words to share at times and also the just the wisdom at times, just to be quiet, just to be present, to be a shoulder to cry on, to mourn with the families. Lord, I wish we didn't live in a fallen world. I know and I trust that you are sovereign over everything. And yet there's times that I wonder why things happen. This morning, we walk forward in surrender to you trusting that you are holding it all together. Trusting that even in this evil thing that happened, you are at work and that somehow you're going to be glorified through it. We pray that maybe people take a a whole new step of faith with you to trust you even when the answers aren't coming right away. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, I'd like to ask you a question. And that question is, what is the philosophy of your life? Okay? What would you answer to that? Maybe you haven't thought very deeply about that. You know, what are the 
the philosophies, the perspectives, the, I don't know, the mantras, the worldviews that dominate how you approach life. There are so many different approaches out there. And this morning, I'm going to share just a couple of them with you. We're going to go through a quick list. And as I go through this, I want you just to think about what I'm saying and say, is this something that's present in my life? Is this one of the things I think about? Or do I know somebody who thinks this way? Or even maybe the music that I listen to is the content along this line. We'll just start with an easy one. You know, YOLO. You only live once. Um, Life is what you can get out of it, right? Or how about this? Kind of the opposite. Life is what it is and you can't change it at all. Or maybe you have the power to change your own path. Or maybe good things happen to good people. You know, karma, kind of you get what you deserve. Or maybe the universe and the stars actually control your destiny. How about this one? The goal of life is actually good virtues and being nice and helping people. Or maybe good vibes, just good thoughts, good intentions are powerful enough. Or how about this one? Everything can be explained just with science. Now, if we start to add in views of God and an afterlife, then it brings up some more things like, well, maybe there isn't a God at all. Or maybe there is a God, but I'm not so sure about this Jesus and formal religion thing. Or how about God is actually a mystery, a puzzle that we have to unpack? Or the opposite of that, that God is completely unknowable and we can only know what we actually experience. We're having a few technical difficulties. There we go. Or how about this? There are many paths to the afterlife and to God, and all of them are valid. Or how about there's no afterlife? What you get here is what you get. Or maybe the good and evil are always balanced, you know, kind of like Star Wars and the Force, right? Or that maybe there's ways that you can actually earn your way to favor with God in the afterlife by following some very specific set of rules. Or maybe the worship of angels or other spiritual beings, maybe that's the way to go. Or maybe life is just a circle of different lifetimes and different experiences and existences. Or maybe self-denial of pleasurable things. That's going to lead us to spiritual enlightenment. This is a lot of isms up there. Um, This past week, I spent some time on a website that had over 150 different isms that I read through. It's amazing. All these different thought processes, different philosophies. And if you notice, all of these isms miss something, something critical. They miss the truth of what we read in the last couple of weeks out of Colossians chapter 1. Everything was created through and for Christ. He is first in everything. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I've recently heard it said that basically there's only two worldviews. There's the worldview of Christ from the Bible, and then there's everything else. Kind of digital. Back to the isms for a moment. 
Of this list, what do you think is the most dangerous of all the different worldviews for Christians today? It's actually something not on this list. It's called syncretism. It's another ism. And syncretism is the merging of multiple religions and cultures, schools of thought, philosophies, and sometimes we do it without even knowing that we're merging them together. I'm involved with uh, some ministry down in Haiti, and I've been doing that for about nine years or so. And we often, the folks that are there, they share Christ, and people will come and, and accept Christ. And Haiti is a mix of so many different thoughts and, and different things spiritually. And so it's not uncommon for somebody to have a story like this. A lady who recently believes in Christ, she gets sick. So what does she do? She goes to the doctor. And then after the doctor, she goes to the market, she buys a chicken, she drops it off at the voodoo priest on her way to church for a prayer meeting. Now the question there is not whether she believes that Jesus is real. It's the question of does she believe Jesus is the one and true God versus all this mixture of other things. Now, here in Colorado, things aren't completely different for us. It, it looks a little different, but we mix things together a lot. It's really easy for us to mix other thoughts and beliefs alongside our biblical worldview. To mix what we read about in the Bible with pop culture, with Hollywood movie theology, with politics, with Hallmark cards and Hallmark movies with well-intentioned but slightly off wisdom. And it's not a new problem. When you read any New Testament letter, they were always written to address a specific problem. And if you spend the time to figure out what the problem was when you read the letter, you can then understand what the author intended, what he was trying to talk about. When Paul wrote the book of Colossians, he was writing to a church that was somewhere between 10 or 20 years old. Now, Mountain View, we're 16 and a half years old right now, but we were started by another Christian church and planted. Well, the church of Colossians wasn't started by another church. It was brand new. It was this new religion, this new thought of following this guy named Jesus and syncretism. That blending of different thoughts was a huge problem because that was the culture. The, the people of those days were known for mixing Greek and Roman and other beliefs and Jewish stuff and all this stuff together. And so when Christianity came along, it was natural just to mix it in. And what Paul was working on, he had a number of big isms that he was trying to work on. And these are four of them that will kind of pop up as we read today. The first is called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is this thought that God is a mystery. He hasn't provided everything we need to know. There's a puzzle there, and we have to solve it. And over time, we can kind of work through and figure out the puzzle. There was also the ism of legalism. It was basically saying, well, you have to follow the Jewish culture in order to be a Christian. There was angelolatry, which is the worship of angels instead of Christ. And then asceticism, which is kind of this monk-like thought process of just deny everything that's pleasurable and you'll do all right. We're going to read through chapter 2. And as I, as I go through, just kind of listen for some of these isms of how they pop up and then how Paul addresses them. And I'll kind of do a roll, kind of a running commentary as we go through. So let's start in. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. 
I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. Just a quick aside, here at Mountain View, I want you to know that the ministry directors, the elders, the volunteer leaders, the staff, the pastors, we agonize over you. And not in a bad way, but we constantly lift you guys up in prayer. We love you. We want to serve you. We want to help you to grow. And even if we haven't met you yet, you've been prayed for. Um, There's a team of guys that come in to set up the chairs that you're sitting in every Sunday morning. And one of the last things of of the job is to go through and to pray over the seats, to pray for the people that are coming. Second verse. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So this is a call out to that Gnosticism, that thought process of there's a mystery here. Anytime you read about mystery in the New Testament, just think about like in Ephesians where Paul says, The mystery of the past, of how God was going to work and how sin would be atoned for, has been completely revealed in Christ. Christ is the revealed mystery. So there's no more mystery for us anymore. I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you have accepted Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down in him, for let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Now, we're going to come back to these verses, but right now, just keep in mind that your faith is not static. It either grows or it withers. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Paul here is basically saying, beware of the isms. Be aware of them. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through the union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Everything is complete through Christ. He is supreme. He is first. And he alone can fill those voids that sometimes we use isms to feel better about ourselves. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. The legalism is starting to come out here a little bit. There was a group of people that we refer to as the Judaizers. Basically, they were Jews who became Christians, but they believed that you had to be a Jew in order to follow Christ, particularly in things like circumcision, dietary laws, how you did the Sabbath, and other religious festivals. And Paul is saying that Christ cut away your sinful nature, He did a spiritual circumcision, so you don't need to do the physical. That's good news to some of you, maybe. We can follow and accept him just the way we begin right now. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. 
You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. This is the gospel. The cutting away of our sinful nature. For some of us, when we first accept Christ, that happens right away. For a lot of us, it's a progressive thing that happens over time, over our whole lifetime, of progressively removing parts of sin from our thinking and our lives. It isn't an easy process. And there's no promise in Scripture that it's not necessarily going to be painful. But it does lead to a wondrous new life in Christ. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And Christ has already had this victory over sin and death over the spiritual powers. Even though he hasn't returned yet, he is still victorious now. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbath. For these rules are only the shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. It is by faith alone that we are saved. Not by things we do. We don't earn our way. We don't get Christ's favor or his attention by doing certain things. Now as Christians, we should do certain things. We do good things. We help others. We give to the homeless. We read our Bibles. We try to be nice. We don't do this to earn favor. We do it as an outpouring of the thankfulness of what Christ has already done for us. From the outside, it looks like either way is the same way, but the internal motivation is what is critical. That's our heart posture. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. We're not to worship anything that's not Christ himself. Uh, in the Old Testament, at different times when people encountered God's angels, and they started to worship, each time the angels said, no, don't worship me, worship God. It's when we encounter fallen angels, who are our enemies, they want us to worship them because essentially then we're not worshiping God. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why don't you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering, or, yeah, in conquering a person's evil desires. This last bit is asceticism. This is that monk-like, remove everything from your life. Uh, one way that is powerful to overcome an addiction, if you have one in your life, is not just to remove things. Because when you remove them, you're just going to come back to them at some point. Instead, what you do is you replace them with something better, something you're committed to. In this case, faith. All right, thanks for staying with me. That was all of chapter 2. We walked it through pretty quick. It's kind of the end of, in some ways, Paul's rant against the isms. 
a little different than a rant. I mean, a rant is just kind of somebody saying their opinion. They just want to be heard. Paul is actually covering some pretty deep, profound truths about the nature of our relationship with Christ. What I'd like to do, though, is to kind of walk back through it again. But keep in mind the outline of Colossians. So I told you at the beginning that if you know the problem that's being addressed in a book, you can figure out everything else. Chapter 2 is the problem. Paul talks directly about what's going on in Colossians and what he's trying to work on. Chapter 1 is actually the solution, that Christ is supreme, that he is first in everything. And then Colossians chapters 3 and 4, which we're going to walk through the next couple of weeks, Those chapters are basically the application. How does it look like in your life? Here's some ways that you can live out what chapter 1 talks about. Now, if you don't get the theology here, if you don't get those concepts from chapters 1 and 2, then when we walk into 3 and 4, you're just going to get some nice self-help. You're going to get some inspirational quotes, and they're not really going to help you. It's important for us to remember that Christ is supreme and first. Whether you are new to faith or you've been walking with Christ for quite a while, I want to plead with you for a few moments. I want to ask, is Christ first in everything in your life? And I'm not asking to become like a monk and separate from everything and not have a job or anything like that. What I'm asking is what's possible for everyone. Is Christ first? Do you live your life knowing the real reality of transformation that he's done in your life. That he's making you someone new. Someone more and more like him all the time. Do you place priority on your relationship with Christ? Or is he something that you just do at the end of the day when you're tired and it's just a checkbox? As a pastor, as the growth pastor of MBF, my prayer is constant for you all and me, that as a church community, we get this right, that we put Christ first, that he is the priority in our lives, in our church, our family, our community. This past week, I was on a Zoom call with some of my, my brothers in Christ that are in Haiti. They're, they're Haitian pastors. Um, we get together once a month, and I haven't been in Haiti in about three years. At this point, um, The violence in Haiti is off the charts. Um, Gangs basically rule the country at this point, gangs in different towns. And it's incredibly risky just to go from town to town, uh, to be outside of your normal area of being kidnapped or killed or any number of things. Um, I was asking them this week a couple things. I asked them, are you guys still seeing God moving? And what are you praying for? All of these pastors, they they replied back that they are seeing God moving. Even in the suffering right now, even in the lack of food, lack of resources, people don't have jobs, they're living in fear, God is still moving. He's providing in tangible ways for them. People are still coming to Christ, trusting him, and getting rid of some of those isms to when they're sick, they just go for prayer. But one pastor in particular, his name is Austin L. Austin L. said this about what he's praying for. He said, we are praying for changed hearts. He said, it would be really easy for us right now just to pray that the gangs disappear, that the gang leaders vanish or are wiped out somehow, that the evil would stop. 
But he said, they still need Christ. He said, we are praying for changed hearts. We're praying that we are used and our families are used and our churches are used however God wants to so that people will change their hearts and turn to Christ. That's a perspective of knowing Christ is supreme and first. How about us? How can we have that kind of perspective? How can we put Christ first in everything and not fall into any of those high-sounding philosophies that come from man instead of from God? I think Paul offers some insights directly to that in, back in verses 6 to 8. And the first one is to follow. Verse 6. And now, just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. To follow him. I think we should drop the label Christian. I I don't know about you. I don't know what that means anymore, right? It's been so tweaked and misused and everything that I, I don't know what Christian means. What I want us to maybe use is instead just call ourselves followers of Jesus. Or maybe even better yet, disciples of Christ. I think that's pretty clear what it means. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we're following, learning, being transformed and forgiven and changing. Maybe an action for us is just simply to say, am I walking with Christ? Today, have I spent time with him? Am I doing this on a daily basis? Out in the lobby, we have some words up on the, on the wall. One of them is up. It's our intent for every one of us to have an up relationship. That's up with Jesus every single day. In some way, we spend time with him. We make him the priority. Because your view of Jesus is going to affect every aspect of your life. Every aspect. Here in Colossians, Paul is saying that as believers, we died with Christ. Therefore, we need to die to our sins and follow him. Paul is also saying that we have been raised to life with Christ. And therefore, we need to live well and to put on Christ's qualities in our life and follow him. Paul is saying Lord is, uh, that Jesus is Lord over all. And therefore, the life of a Christian is a life of submission to Jesus and following him. Our faith in Christ should absolutely transform all of our relationships. Our family, our friends, our work, our church, our community. Now maybe if you're not seeing this transformation yet, then maybe what you're missing is growth. You need to grow a little bit. Verse 7 says, Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. The metaphor and the thread of trees is strong through the Bible. That motif is everywhere. It's one of the most consistent ones. And I think it makes sense because we can see how when something grows rooted over time, it grows into something strong. Four and a half years ago, my family and I, we moved from Vermont to be here. And this is a picture of my old backyard. It was full of trees. Didn't plant a single one. In fact, this time of year, I was usually out cutting down trees that had grown like weeds in places we didn't want them, okay? This is my backyard now. (laughs) 
Over the last couple of years, my family and I, we have planted over 300 trees and seedlings, you know, the little tiny sticks, hoping that they're going to grow, right? Um, this year in particular, we need to start fertilizing those trees. And it's kind of tricky to find the right fertilizer. It'd be really easy to get a fertilizer that has a lot of nitrogen because what happens when we put nitrogen on a tree, it grows quick, there's lots and lots of leaves, it looks awesome. But the tree puts all of its effort into the leaves and not into the roots. And so when the wind comes in years future, it doesn't last. And so you've got to fertilize the right way. I think it's the same with us. With our faith, we need to make sure that we are putting our effort into the right things. Not just the easy things, not the things that just look good, not just checking a box, but actually putting some effort in, growing our roots down. For instance, even just Sunday services, something you can do is to be intentional about when you come to worship. Before you leave the house, pray. I don't know how many of you do that. Pray about the service. Pray that God is preparing your heart to actually worship. Pray that your ears will be open to hear what he wants to tell you today. Maybe during the sermon, take a few notes. And then during the week, review, reread the scripture that was shared. Pray about it. Maybe ask some hard questions. How does this really relate? Does this make sense to me? Maybe check some of those isms that kind of leak in. And that's our next step, is actually the isms, to check. Number eight, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. This is the trap of syncretism. Blending stuff that sounds good, sounds familiar maybe, but not realizing it doesn't come from the Bible. Maybe we need to start just asking that direct question. Where is this in the Bible? And if we can't find it, maybe the opposite is there instead. Let me give you an example. I'm going to read a couple quick statements. And as I read these, I just want you to think, are these from the Bible or not from the Bible? Are they true or are they false? Okay? Here we go. The first one goes, God helps those who help themselves. Hmm. Or how about, it is better to ask forgiveness than to ask for permission. Okay. God won't give you more than you can handle. God moves in mysterious ways. Cleanliness is next to godliness. We all have our crosses to bear. And the last one, be true to yourself and the way that God made you. All of those statements are not actually from the Bible. There are places that are close to those statements, but they're different. And when we read through the Bible, we can start to see how some of those isms creep into our thinking. A lot of the colloquial phrases we use are not actually biblical, even though they kind of sound that way. And we have to be in the word regularly so that we can recognize when things aren't from the Bible. A lot of times when I meet with people, I'll ask you kind of two questions often to start with. I'll say, what is God talking to you about? And what are you doing daily to grow with Christ? Two simple questions. Lately, uh, a lot of people have responding to the question about how do you grow with saying, um, I do a devotional every day. And I think that's good. That's good to do something every day. 
But I asked them a little bit about their devotion. And, and often it's kind of one of those that has, you know, one or two verses at the top, and then there's like a paragraph and some story or something that might be related, okay? Um, like a Jesus Calling or a, a Daily Bread or those sort of things. Now, one of the times I was asking somebody about it, and I said, okay, well, show me an example lately of, of something you read. And they said, oh, yeah, there was this story about, and they, they told me the story, and then I asked them the question, what verse was that devotional about? And they couldn't remember the verse, they couldn't remember the reference, but they couldn't even really remember the content of the verse. And I sat back and went, are they really hearing God's voice or are they hearing man's voice? Are they missing it? And I think it's really important. Devotionals are great after you've spent time with God. Or maybe tweak it a little bit. If you like those kind of devotionals, take that verse, open up your Bible, read two or three paragraphs before that verse and two or three paragraphs after the verse. And that way you've heard God. And then do the devotional. And you can check, does it match up or not? So we've got to know God's voice. And I know sometimes those devotionals are great because maybe we feel like we relate to them easier. But we need to relate to God, first and foremost. Christ is supreme. Christ is first. Now I want to just offer an, an easy way maybe to help with that a little bit. It's something we do here at MBF. Um, every weekday morning at 7.30, there's a text that goes out. And it has a, a chapter or so out of the Bible to read. We kind of walk through one book at a time. Um, I kind of make sure that that reading is about five to seven minutes. That's it. And then I send also a question with it. And the question is just to have you think a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper maybe about that particular passage. And it's a great way five to seven minutes to spend some time with God. And if you would be like to be part of that, all you have to do is text the words, go read to 720-999-9075. And you'll get a text again each weekday about 7.30 in the morning. Okay? Right now we're walking through the book of Isaiah and the book of John kind of at the same time, a nice pairing. But it's a great way to be able to hear God's voice in the morning or whenever you need to do it. Not to belabor it this morning, but just I think we need to follow, grow, and check. Just kind of follow what Paul suggested here. The problem with the isms is they're all supposed to be ways of being pious, about being righteous, about wisdom. And as Paul said, they're not quite right. The problem with all these isms is they take our focus off of the right things and puts it on us instead. It replaces us as our means of salvation instead of Christ. It replaces us as the source of wisdom instead of Christ. It replaces us as the central focus of the world, of our lives, our purpose of history, instead of it being about Christ. And the fix, the way to get rid of some of those isms, again, follow, grow, and check the things that we're thinking. Is our thinking right? Let's go ahead and pray together. God, thank you for this morning. I thank you that we have your word. It provides for us your voice and 
the things you want us to be focused on. It directs us in our heart posture. It directs us in how to follow you, Jesus, better. Lord, I thank you that you are the mediator between creation and redemption. You are the conqueror of sin and death. I thank you that everything was created through you. Jesus, I pray for the days ahead that you help us be able to follow you. That we're not just going through the motions, but we're actually willing to spend some time with you. I thank you that you continue to grow us all the time. You continue to mold us and change us. That you put us in places for us to respond to you and for us to trust you in new ways. Help us with the isms. It's really easy for us to to think certain ways, for things to creep into our thinking. And sometimes we don't even realize it. I pray this next week that you help us be able to stop sometimes and say, wow, what I just said or what I thought or how I'm approaching this, did that come from Christ or is that something that someone else would want me to think? Jesus, thank you for being complete. You are our cornerstone. You are what we can build our lives on and know that it will stand. Jesus, thank you for loving us first. In your name, amen.